Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. At the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to our November Luncheon Podcast. This luncheon featured Whit George, the lead pastor of Church on the Move, and uh, we actually just recorded it, so I was already ready to, to jump into this, and I don't want to say too much about it because it's a fantastic presentation, and I'm excited to share it with you. But let's tune in and listen to Witt's message to young business leaders. Well, thanks, Jason. Hey, guys. Thanks, Marquise. Marquise and I are having like a reunion over here, man. I don't think I've seen you in like 20 years. Incredible. Hey, great to be here with you guys today. Thanks for, uh, honestly, thanks for having me. Thanks to Jason, Evan, Matt, the different ones that put this whole thing together. I, I love what you're doing here. I honestly haven't been very familiar with it until today, just kind of sitting here hearing this and talking about how you can turn your, uh, your business into a ministry. I love that. I think that's how business ought to work. In fact, I think that's really the purpose of work. If you ask yourself, why, why do we work? Why does mankind work? If you think about it, God gave man work before sin. Before sin entered into the world, there was work. He gave mankind a job. And the reason that we have it is because we're meant to bring order and structure and kind of propel human flourishing. And so I think that all work is part of, if it, if it brings order, if it, if it brings value, I think that all work then has sort of a ministry kind of value. And I love that you're thinking of it in that kind of a way. Um, as Jason said, I'm the pastor at Church on the Move. If you don't know much about our church or have any idea how that works or anything like that, my dad started Church on the Move 31 years ago. I was 11 years old. And so I've been going to Church on the Move for 31 years for a long time because I had no choice. Uh, now I'm the pastor there. I still don't have a choice, I guess, right? And uh, anyway, my dad started Church on the Move 31 years ago. It's... Um, I think an incredible church, and I, I say that not because I built it, but because he did. It's really an amazing place that he built. And uh, about a year and a half ago, not quite a year and a half ago, we transitioned. And uh, he passed the leadership role of the church to me, which is pretty significant. I don't know if you realize this right now, but there's kind of a, I wouldn't call it a crisis, but there's a wave of baby boomer pastors, I might even think, I'm sure it's probably happening in the business world, baby boomer businessmen and women who are transitioning out of businesses or churches that they started, and it's happening all over the place, and um, it's, a, it's an interesting journey that you go through. I would say it's been wonderful, it's also been difficult. There's a lot of family dynamics that get wrapped up when you're in a family business, that kind of thing, and if you've ever worked in a family business, worked with family, you know, that's a, that's a challenge. It's been wonderful, but difficult and challenging all at the same time. So I'm about a year and a half in, and 
I don't know, I think I'm killing it, so whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I want to talk to you just about kind of, I, I, I'm sure you hear from all kinds of people that can tell you leadership skills and how to make your business better. I really came here today just to talk to you about how to be better men. And I see that we have some women in the room as well. I think all this is going to apply to anybody who wants to apply it. But my goal is to speak to you the person, not to you just the business person. It is all wrapped up together, but my, my interest is in you, in who you are as a man, as a leader, as a, uh, a father, a husband. Because if we, can, if we can improve those things, if we can make a difference there, I think it's going to have an impact in your business. And so um, I don't really have a whole lot to tell you about leadership and development and all that kind of stuff because that's not really the world that I'm in, but I do care about you. And so I want to talk to you about three things that I think can have a huge impact on your life and in who you are and in the business and in the leadership that God has given you. So three thoughts. First one is this. I think you need to understand that work is a rhythm, not a hum. When we read about work and how work came to be, we read about God giving work. Genesis chapter 1 kind of gives us the sort of context or sort of the pattern for work. God works six days, rests for one. And this is not just meant to be sort of facts about how the world was created. Quite honestly, we don't know if that's exactly how it happened. I don't think Genesis is meant to be a sort of factual scientific book to tell us exactly how everything happened. I do think it's meant to tell us something about who we are and something about the nature of who God is. And I think it tells us something about the nature and purpose of work, and that is that work is meant to be a rhythm in your life. There's a pattern. God works six days, then he rests for one, and he gives that same pattern to mankind. Work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. It's a rhythm. This is the nature of rhythm. If you know anything about rhythm, you know that there's breaks in rhythm, but it is the break in the rhythm that gives it its pattern. You think about a drum beat. It's not just constant noise. There's a boom, boom. There's rest in between the beats. And it's that rest in between the beats that gives it its rhythm. I think work was meant to be a rhythm. And there's a fundamental difference between a rhythm and a hum. Rhythm has rest. Hum is just constant. Mm. that's a hum. If you ever had a light or a piece of, I don't know, elect, uh, like electronics or something, you turn it on, you know it doesn't quite work the right way. It has a hum to it. It's kind of annoying. You flip on a light switch or maybe, I don't know, what is it, the fluorescent lights and sometimes have a tendency to hum. You flip the switch in your garage and your fluorescent lights come on. There's a, just a buzz or a halogen light buzz. I don't know. I play basketball a lot. And uh, you go into a basketball gym. Halogen lights, you know this, Jay. They're, they hum. You, you, you flip the switch on in the gym and it's just like, it's just kind of going, just there. I think for a lot of us, I think for a lot of American culture, work isn't a rhythm, it's a hum. It's just always there. It doesn't mean you never take a day off, it just means even on your day off, you're a person who works, who's actually not at the office right now, but work's still there. It's still in the background of your mind. It's still kind of eating away at your soul. I'm not dogging work. I think work has value. I think work has its place. 
but I think work was meant to be a rhythm, and I think God laid it out for us what he wanted it to be when he said six days on, one day off. Meaning, not just that's a day that you don't go into the office, but it's a day where you let go of your doing. It's a rhythm. Boom, boom, boom. There's space in the rhythm. And the thing that I'm running into with a lot of men and women in business and whatever, just I think in life, I don't even care. You, you may not be in business. You may just be a mother. Is that life just becomes a constant hum. We're just going all the time. You know, it's amazing I think about how different life is today than it was whenever I was a kid. All the practices, all the events, all the extra coaching you got to get your kids to. It's this thing, it's that thing. I got five kids. I know what this is like. And if you don't actively work to manage your life and to manage your schedule, work will just become the hum that I think can drive you crazy. It leads to burnout. It leads to exhaustion. It leads to a breakdown of relationships because it's just constant, the drive to just keep going and going and going. One of the things I'm forever grateful to my dad for is teaching me this concept that life and work is a rhythm, that work isn't everything, that you don't just keep pushing. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but there's always more stuff to do. Your to-do list never ends. Just when you get to the end of it, there's more stuff to be on the to-do list. And part of, I think, being a, 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 a Christ follower in business is learning the principle of rest. Learning the principle of rest, meaning that it doesn't all depend on you. I can tell you guys, this happens in ministry as much as anywhere. I think this is one place where we kind of are on the same page. Ministers burn out left and right. You read about it regularly. I don't know if you stay as connected to it as I do, but you're going to see, you see it all the time. Ministers breaking down, ministers having extramarital affairs. Why does this happen? It happens in large part because we have no rhythm to the way that we work. We're running on empty. There's no refilling. There's no refreshing. We just keep going and going and going because that's what our culture kind of wants and demands. But I don't know if you've thought about this. Being a Christian from the very beginning has meant living a countercultural life. It means making choices that other people aren't willing to make. It means stepping away when other people are continuing to press forward. Does it mean we don't work hard? Does it mean we're lazy? No, but it means we have to be intentional about the structure and rhythm of our life. For me in my life, that means there's a day every week where I do nothing. I spend time with my wife. And I've structured my life this way. For me, that's Friday. Basically, Friday is just a day. There's a biblical term for this. It's called a Sabbath. And unfortunately, it's a practice that many Christians believe, well, that kind of went away a long time ago. I don't think it has. I think it's something that we were meant to practice. To have a day where rather than doing anything, rather than producing anything, rather than making anything, I'm just enjoying God. I'm enjoying my family. I'm enjoying life. I'm enjoying the outdoors. I think one of the worst things that can happen when you start a business is that the business becomes the slave driver that you belong to. And I'm telling you, if you're not intentional about it, 
It becomes that way. One of the hardest person, the hardest person you'll ever manage in your life is yourself. And so having to say, this is what I'm going to allow myself to do. This is what I'm going to set aside and say, God, this day belongs to you. It's holy to you. I'm not giving it up. I'm giving it to you one day a week. It's a rhythm, not a hum. Second thing is this. Leadership is a stewardship, not an ownership. Leadership is a stewardship, not an ownership. There's a difference between stewarding something and owning something. And in this country, we value the self-made man, the self-made woman. We love the idea of someone who's made the tough choices, pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. We like the, the solitary hero. We value the, long, the lone ranger, Batman, I work alone, that kind of thing. Where we kind of do our own thing. We make good choices. We work really hard and we have achieved something for ourselves. I think there's an inherent pride, though, in that whole mindset. And I think it kind of spills over into the way that we lead. I think it's why leaders aren't as gracious as they could be. I think it's why we have trouble extending grace to others when um, they've made mistakes. Um, I think there's a lot of negative things that viewing leadership as an ownership produces. Now, granted, we talk a lot about this, that being an owner and not just a, oh, a hired hand is a good kind of mindset. Think about it like an owner. I'm not against that, and I'm not trying to speak to you about letting go of that idea. But I think, ultimately, where we want to kind of start from is the concept of stewardship. Stewardship means that what you have has been given to you. Whenever there's an I earned it kind of mentality, inevitably there's a lack of grace with that kind of thinking. Because you feel like I kind of, I did something for this. There's a difference between earning it and receiving something as a gift. Whenever someone gives you a gift, the common thing that you say is, thank you. And someone gives you a nice, this week, someone in our church gave me a card that had some money in it, and I knew what it cost them to give this to me. I hated to receive it, quite honestly. I felt terrible about it. But they felt like God had said, I wanted to give you this money. And um, how do you respond to something like that? The only way to respond is to say thank you. But when I receive my paycheck every week, when you receive your paycheck every other week or however often it is that you get paid, chances are you're not walking into the CEO's office saying, thank you. Thanks for this paycheck. Again, why? Because you did something to earn it. Now, I'm not against that. I'm not saying that you should be going into your, your, your CEO, CEO's office every week and saying, hey, thanks for the, another paycheck. But I am saying that there is someone who you owe a thanks to. And I think it's easy to miss the fact that everything you have is ultimately a gift. There is nothing that you have in your life that wasn't given to you by God. And you may think that, well, now hang on a second. Would I, now I, I, I've worked pretty hard over here. There's a lot, I, let, me, let me point you to the blood, the sweat, the tears, all the effort that I put into this. And there's a tendency to think that, yeah, I, no, I, I built this thing. I did this thing myself. 
But I want you to just stop and think about all the choices or all the things that were done for you that you had no choice in the matter. Number one, you didn't choose the country that you were born into. You didn't choose the family that you'd be born into. You didn't choose the IQ that you have. You didn't choose the physical characteristics that you have. I mean, there's a whole host of things that were given to you that you did not choose for yourself. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, says this. He says, for who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Meaning, there's nothing that you've done that you kind of get one up over on God, where he goes, well, that one you did on your own. You got that one. No, it means that everything, everything that has happened in your life was a gift to you, which means that every part of it is ultimately a stewardship, meaning you'll give an account for what was placed in your hands one day. And I think when we start to view our leadership as a stewardship rather than an ownership, it fundamentally transforms the posture of the way that you lead. It makes it easier to extend grace to others because you see that what you have wasn't something that you earned, but it was something that was given to you. Does it mean that I have no responsibility or that I don't have to make good choices? No, there is responsibility and there is good choices. But it means when I see that I was given what I have, it means I'm a whole lot more patient with other people. Because it's really hard to be gracious with people when you feel like you've earned it yourself. And when you wonder, why do I have a hard time extending grace to other people? It's because there's a little bit in you that thinks, I've done some good stuff here. Why can't they be more like me? For a long time in my life, that was the way that I lived. But when I started to realize that everything that I had was something that was given to me and not something that I earned or made for myself, it fundamentally changed the way I related to the things that I had in my life. Your family is a gift. Your wife is a gift. Your business is a gift. Your paycheck is a gift. Your staff is a gift. When you live like that and you think like that, you don't walk around saying thank you necessarily to everybody around you, but you do walk around saying thank you to God on a regular basis. Since I've been living this way, I can just tell you that I can't go, I don't know, very long in my life without saying thanks to God. It happens on a regular basis every day but it makes me more gracious. It makes me kinder. It makes me more patient with the people around me. I'm more generous because of this. And that's what I like about the theme or kind of the heart behind this organization. Because whenever you see what you have as a gift, then you see what I, what I have has been given to me. How can I not help but be generous in return? It creates generosity in you. And I love that I'm seeing this around here because I see businessmen and women who are saying, I want to, because I view what I have as a gift, I want to pass it on to other people. These are not handouts. This is just me paying forward what God has already given to me. When you see your leadership as a stewardship and not an ownership, it fundamentally transforms the way you relate to your business and ultimately to everything in your life. Lastly is this. Purpose is a who and not a do. This might be the most important thing I'm going to tell you all day. Work is a rhythm, not a hum. Leadership is a stewardship, not an ownership. And purpose is a who, not a do. 
Every single one of us is building our lives on something. It's a fundamental fact of human nature. You need meaning to live. The minute you stop having a reason to live is the minute you stop living. Quite literally, people who have committed suicide are people who found no more reason to live. So if you're still here, it's because you have some kind of meaning. Meaning is an essential quality to being a human being. The question I would ask is, what gives your life meaning? What makes you, you? We call this an identity. And everybody, I don't care who you are, you're building your identity on something. It's how you answer the question, how do I matter? Why do I matter? What makes me matter? What is life for? You may not have thought about it in those terms before. You may not even had a sort of conscious conversation with yourself in your head about it. But every single one of us has something that we're building our identity on. Viktor Frankl, who was an Austrian psychologist, he, uh, he spent time in a concentration camp, and he's a brilliant guy, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, in which he talks about these concepts of meaning and life, and one of the things that he noted was that in concentration camp, he found that there were, this is Nazi concentration camps, by the way, he was a Jew in Austria during World War II, and... Um, he found that different people had a sort of resiliency or a way uh, that kind of a drive that kept them going, and other people lost their sort of purpose or meaning for life, and they ended up dying in the concentration camp. And he points out that the thing that made, gave people a certain strength or a fortitude to be able to endure the horrors of the Nazi concentration camps was meaning, purpose, having something that they were living for. In his case, it was writing a book, the book Man's Search for Meaning. He felt that he had to get through and survive the Holocaust so that he could finish his work. It gave him a meaning that he could endure something like, uh, something as terrible as a concentration camp. He said this, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. The thing that I kind of, I'm sort of seeing in our culture, though, is I would argue that a vast majority of people are building their lives on something that they do. A job, a business, whatever it is, we build our identity. I'm going to tell you, if you're a business person, this is one of the easiest things that you'll ever do in your life. Your life will become defined by the thing that you do. The problem with this, and if you think about it from an investment standpoint, is it's a really risky investment. Because what happens if what you do gets taken away? What happens if you can't do what you do today anymore? If you lose the capacity to do the thing that you're doing, then who are you? And we run into people like this. In fact, we see it in every major financial crisis. You see the exact same story. The market tanks, people commit suicide. Why? Is because they don't know how to live without money? I don't think so. I think it's because they built a life or a meaning built on their business that when it was taken away and when the whole thing crashed, they saw no purpose for life anymore. Friends, it is all too easy to build your identity on what it is you do. Here's how you know that you do this. When your business is good, you feel great about yourself. Maybe you even feel like God is really pleased with you. 
like the sun is shining on you extra brightly today because life is good. I'm making good choices. Business is doing well. I feel great. Can I tell you, in church work, wow, do you feel this every single week because you stand on a stage and you look out and you count people. There are less people here this week than there were last week. What am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? God, what's going on? Where are you? When there are a lot of people, you feel awesome. It's building your identity on what you do. I think in ministry, this is one of the easiest things that you can do. And so you feel good about yourself when things are good. You feel bad about yourself when things are bad. This is what it is to have an identity built on what you do. But it leads to some things that I think are pretty unhealthy. Three things I'll tell you, and then I'll shut up and turn it over to whoever's next. Three things I think are really bad about building your identity on something that you do. The first one is that it inevitably makes you defensive. Because if your identity is in your work, then when people start criticizing your work, you're going to take it personally. You're going to feel awful. You're not going to really be able to endure it because you kind of have to have it all together in order to feel okay about you. You ever wonder why people are defensive? This is exactly why. Because it's too painful to critique our job. In other words, my identity and my doing are linked up in the exact same thing. Benjamin Nugent, who was a writer, said it this way. When, my, when good writing was my only goal, he said, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. For this reason, I wasn't able to read my own writing well. I couldn't tell whether something I had just written was good or bad because I needed it to be good in order to feel sane. If you find yourself not being able to take criticism, if you find yourself not wanting to have anyone kind of shine the spotlight on you, it might be because your identity is somewhat tied up in what it is that you do. You are not defined, though, by what you do. You're defined by whose you are. Who you belong to is what I would argue is your greater identity. So defensiveness is the, is the first thing. The second thing that it leads to is comparison. You look around and you compare yourself to other people. We live, I think, in the golden age of comparison. I don't know if there's ever been a time on planet Earth when it's easier to compare yourself to other people than today. Because of social media, because of the web, it's so easy to look around and see somebody who's killing it in a way that's bigger than you. I had an experience like this in my own life recently. We had, uh, and he's a friend of mine, but we had a pastor over to our church, a guy named Michael Todd, who's an up-and-coming pastor in our city, doing amazing things. Great pastor. And um, we found out about, well, I met him a couple of years ago, but we found out they were, they were trying to launch kind of an outreach center in a part of our city, a really underserved part of our city. And we wanted to help them as a church, so we gave them some money. And then uh, we said, hey, we're going to have Michael over to speak. Full disclosure, I'd never heard Michael speak in my life. He was coming over to speak on our first Wednesday. I knew almost, I mean, I met him once before in a green room at a conference. I knew nothing else about him. I just knew that he was a pastor doing something great in our city. I wanted to be a part of it. So he came over to speak, and uh, I'm hanging out with him, and I'm just like in the backstage. I'm like, man... Now, I have to preface this. Before this, just before, like a week before he came, I got an email in my inbox from a church conference, a big church conference that I had been to many, many times. And I get this email, and I pull it up. I'm like, oh, who's speaking this year? And I look on there, and I see Michael Todd. And I'm like, what the heck? How do they even know who he is? 
I barely even know. The guy's in my own city. I barely even know who he is. How is it? This is weird. I don't even, I don't know. So I'm a little bit, and then I start going, why? They never had me come speak at this conference. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, he comes over. He comes to the church, and I'm meeting him in the back, and I'm like, hey, you know, tell me what's going on. He goes, man, and he's telling me about how things are blowing up. He said, I put somebody around the turn of the, uh, like at the beginning of this last year, put a video of his online. He goes, it's been viewed 10 million times, him speaking. I'm going, oh my God, I'm just wanting 10 people to watch my videos. 10 million? What is this? Then he says, man, I've been invited. Like I've had 19 speaking requests to come speak at all these different churches. I mean, he's like naming off like the churches around the country. Just like I got invited here. I got invited here. I'm going to speak here. And I'm, I'm like, what in the world is going on? He's exploding. He's telling me about how his church is blowing up. All these people are flocking to it. And I'm sitting there going, praise God, I think. <laughs> So I get up on stage that night, and I'm like, man, I, I'm so glad we got a fellow pastor from the city here. Man, we are all on the same team. And it's like God behind the scenes is going, yeah, we're going to see about that. We're going to see if we're all on the same team. Or are you really in this for you? After the service, and he was awesome, preached a great message. After the service, we went out to eat, and I was taking him out to eat at my favorite restaurant, here in Tulsa, we went to Stone Horse over at Utica. It's my favorite place to go. My wife and I go there every week. That's where we have lunch just about every week. And so I'm taking him in there, and I'm like, hey, you ever been here before? He's like, no, I've never been here. I'm like, cool, come on in, man. This is my restaurant, my place. <laughs> so we go sit down, and we're sitting there talking. And I'm, the way it's kind of situated is, like, I'm, I'm sitting here, he's sitting there, and the kitchen's kind of back over here. It's open kitchen. I've been in there, you know, 100 times, more. And I see the chefs back there, but I've never met the chefs or anything like that. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I see kind of, Michael can't see him, but I see the chef walking out, and he's kind of sneaking up, and he's coming over, and he's coming over, and he walks around the corner, and he's like, Michael! And Michael jumps up, and they start hugging each other, and I'm like, this is my restaurant! <laughs> I've never met the chef! What the heck? Turns out they're all friends and everybody, and I'm like, this is crazy, I can't go anywhere without, oh, Michael Todd! <laughs> It was a challenge for me. Comparison is my identity in what I do, because if it is, this guy's my enemy. I need to work to get ahead of him. I gotta be better than him. And you wanna talk about a frustrating feeling when you see somebody as gifted as he is as a speaker, you go, I can't even compete. I don't have a personality like that. I don't have a speaking gift like that. What the heck, what am I gonna do? Comparison. What happens when you find or build your identity in what it is that you do? Lastly, what it leads to is burnout. You will be exhausted working like this because you can never stop. It's never enough. You take a break, you feel it. You feel like other people are getting ahead of you. You feel like you're losing ground. You feel like you have to keep pushing and going and going and going, and it never stops. Biblically, what you do was never meant to define who you are. The way that it's meant to work is that you are defined by who, who you belong to, not what you do. Colossians 3.23, and I'll close it out with this, says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart 
as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I say it like this. It's not what you do, it's who you do it for that gives your life meaning. And this is a meaning that can never be taken away. Who you're working for changes everything. And so this is what I would challenge you with, is that don't let work be a hum, but let it be a rhythm. Leadership is a stewardship, not an ownership. And lastly, who you work for makes a bigger difference than what you do. Don't build your identity on what you do. Build it on who you belong to. Because when you build your life on what you do, you are the center of your life. You were never meant to be the center of your life. Only Jesus could fill that void, that, that hole in your life. He's meant to be the center. Put him at the center, work for him, it allows you to rest. It allows you to, it allows you to take critique. You don't feel the struggle of being compared to other people. You can rest in who you are and who God made you to be. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.